Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Jamie Creel with Shelter Insurance. Come see how we've built a name that you can trust and why it is a must to get your free quote today with our Switch and Save. Located in Ridgeland and Florida, Mississippi, give us a call, 601-992-6000. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbard along with Rhino in the Element Well studio guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music. It is a Tuesday here. It's primary runoff election day, Rhino. Howdy, howdy. We got Secretary of State Michael Watson in the Element Well studio at 11.05 to give us a, kind of a midday check on what's happening with respect to the runoff elections in the great state of Mississippi today. And then we'll advance on to the general ele- election. That's coming up November the 7th. Right around the old corner, as they say. 12.05. It's Mitch Tyner, attorney with the Tyner Law Firm, political analyst. We'll get his thoughts on the political landscape. Also, we understand that Mr. Tyner is in New York ringing the bell for a new public company he's been working with. How cool is that? Well, the weather ain't all that bad, honestly. I thought... I'll take it. Yeah. Last night, it actually got comfortable for a bit. It's not, as you point out, that oppressive heat in the dark at 11 o'clock at night. That's kind of crazy. That hurricane, I dahlia, I've heard it pronounced, by the way, about three different ways, which means there's no consensus on the pronunciation. It is what a, a, a hurricane level of one, I believe. Isn't that right? I honestly haven't checked. Let me double check. It's headed toward Florida. I heard a press conference, a live press conference, conducted by Governor Ron DeSantis. And he indicates that it has moved a bit to the west. So apparently headed for the, um, the bend area there where the panhandle and the peninsula kind of intersect in the curve, which is actually somewhat good news because that's not a direct hit on Tampa, as was earlier expected. Uh, or Orlando looks like it's um, more in an area where there's not really any large population center, so that's good. And then it heads on up through Georgia, South Carolina, and it looks like Charleston is in the path there, and then on out to sea by Friday. 
That's what the latest forecast is showing that I'm, I'm looking at. We shall see. We are sad to report the passing of Hank Burdine, Mississippi Levy Commissioner, longtime author. Hank Burdine has passed away. Always enjoyed having Mr. Burdine on the show. I'll have to tell you, folks, and Rhino knows what I'm talking about here, maybe the easiest interview you'll ever do, because Mr. Burdine absolutely could communicate eloquently and in an informative fashion. Always a pleasure to have on. I pretty much asked one question. He's got the rest of the segment on his own. And had that very distinctive Southern gentleman, Delton voice, really, really knowledgeable, perhaps more so than any other human alive, on the geography of the Mississippi Delta and fought hard to get pumps in place, to pump the water out. As I recall in our last interview, pretty close on that. I think we got right up there in in realizing uh, his goal there. But we will miss him. Mississippi Levy Commissioner Hank Burdine passed away. Wow, we've, we've had some deaths in our state of, of notable figures in Representative Mac Huddleston, the husband of uh, Mayor Mary Hawkins Butler, Jim Butler, passed away as well. So we have had our share. And um, we um, extend our thoughts and prayers out to the families associated with all. So, again, primary runoffs underway in the great state of Mississippi today. We'll get an update on that from Michael Watson. And speaking of elections, you've probably heard that uh, most folks in this country are concerned about Joe Biden's age. Imagine that. And as a candidate, right? So he presently is 80. And the concerns are, let's see, looking at the latest polls, 77% of American voters believe that he's too old for re-election. 69% of Democrats. They're starting to show. This is from the APNORC Center for Public Affairs Research. But you can look at a variety of polls. They all reveal the same. And I'll I'll point this out. Bernie Sanders, I believe, Rhino, is older than Joe Biden. I don't agree with, like, anything Mr. Sanders supports. But he seems like he's got cognitive ability. I mean, it's hard to believe that he's in the same decade of age, if you think about it, as Joe Biden. They're a year apart. year apart. Is Sanders older or younger? Yeah, he's 81. Okay. So think about him being 81 and Biden being 80. What's Trump now? 77. Yep. Something ain't right there with respect to Biden. And it's uh, so we all could probably point to octogenarians that we say, well, yeah, they're physically old, but they don't seem that way from a mental perspective and often even from a physical perspective. 
I've also heard folks in the medical community whom I know say that there's something about this shuffling of the feet the way President Biden walks, and, and I don't mean to be critical of a person's walk here, but that that's got some connection to maybe a person's overall health from a physical and mental perspective. And that's one of the first things you notice when you see him walking around. It's not like one foot in front of the other, like the rest of us, with your heel and then your then the front of your foot coming down. It's more of a sort of a shuffle where the feet don't really move up and down that much and you don't take very big steps. I just think at the end of the day, this is uh, going to end up causing him to not be the nominee. I don't know how this unfolds. I really don't. And I, I mean, if you believe the uh, tinfoil hat crowd, he's already been told he's not going to be the nominee, and that's why he's been on vacation so much. Oh, okay. Well, that's an interesting theory. Not say. a whole lot to really back it up in hard evidence, but it sounds good. Okay. Interesting theory. By the way, just got notification, guys, that House Majority Leader Steve Scalise announces that he has cancer. Huh. He said, uh, this is his personal Twitter. After a few days of not feeling like myself this past week, I had some blood work done. The results uncovered some irregularities, and after undergoing additional tests, I was diagnosed with multiple myeloma, a very treatable blood cancer. I've now begun treatment, he goes on to say which will continue for the next several months. I expect to work through this period and intend to return to Washington, continuing my work as majority leader and serving the people of Louisiana's 5th Congressional District. I'm grateful we were able to detect this early and that this cancer is treatable. I'm thankful for my excellent medical team and with the help of God, support of my family, friends, colleagues, and constituents, I will tackle this with the same strength and energy as I have tackled past challenges. So we certainly wish Representative Steve Scalise all the best and uh, a, a total, full, quick recovery. I, um, he's right. It's very treatable. And certainly when it is caught early, it's amazing once again how far we've come with respect to the treatment of cancer. and. Just the advances in medical science is unbelievable. But it's important, man, that you go get those checkups and get those tests done, find out about stuff like that. The great Richard Marks bumping out of this segment with Hold On to the Nights. That's on the all-hit request line today. Appreciate you joining us. We're in the Element Well studio, and we're coming back. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. What? This is so awesome. On Super Talk Mississippi. 
BTO with some dueling guitars there. You ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> On the C Spire text line, that's 601-879-4395. So yesterday, Shawaski Young claimed health issues as his reason for withdrawing. This morning, I hear it's because of residency requirements. What gives? I don't know. It's the first I've heard of that. Residency requirements? Something going on about that, Rhino, that you know of? Heard I that. haven't seen anything reported on that. I mean, I, I would not put it past people on social media to uh, try to fill in the gaps, because it is a bit vague to say hypertensive crisis. Yeah. But, I mean, if the dude is dropping out of a race for a statewide office and says it's because of his health, I'm... I'm tempted to just take that at face value because, I mean, your health is one of the most important things in your life. Sure. But that's the official statement from the campaign, from Mr. Young himself. And I, at this point, I, I hesitate to question that. I mean, that's what his official statement is. I, I don't know, Dan, in Hattiesburg, by the way, sent us this. I don't know anything further about a residency issue. If that's the, the case, didn't he not run for... Congress, right? Yeah, 3rd District. The the district that uh, Michael Guest represents. Uh, that didn't come up, that I recall, in the campaign. believe the same would have applied with respect to residency requirements. So, Although it does take a – usually it takes a challenge. It's not just something they go yeah. fact-find and dig up. That's right. I, I agree. That's totally right. Andy and Jackson says, uh, talking about – Mr. Hank Burdine, that guy could tell a story on paint drying in a style you would want want to catch every word to see how it ends. I agree. Extremely unique and rare skill. Gerard, I saw where Trump dropped a few points since the Republican debate. This has been from Madison. Do you think that dip will push him to show up for the next debate? I don't. Um... I don't. He's. I think he dropped what to fifty percent. I mean, he's still lapping the field, and it. Um, it's all about, I guess, who participates in the next debate. Different office, different requirements for federal office versus statewide. Says Ben. Yeah, I know there are different, but I don't think there's major differences in the, as I recall, in the residency requirements. When I looked at that, it it just. Um, he says he was apparently a registered voter in California a few years back. Okay. How long you got to live in the state uh, as a resident to qualify for statewide office, such as Secretary of State? I don't know the answer to that. We got Michael Watson coming on in about 30 minutes. We'll run it by him if some other folks don't come up with the answer to that uh, before. I mean, he's got to file an affidavit. Yep. A legally binding document stating his reason for withdrawing. Right. Or the Democrat Party can't put up another candidate. Yep. Agree. Listen to the word salad that Biden put out while talking to the MLK family on the ceasefire text line. Yeah. I, uh, I, it's crazy. I heard that. Talking about just Biden's cognitive ability, his, his mental fitness for office. I, I agree. And that's not anything that happens 
on an occasional basis. It happens on a regular basis, and that's what's more concerning. I could deal with it if occasionally you get a word salad or mumbling, bumbling. I mean, I think we're all subject to that if you're speaking regularly in a, in a public setting. But it happens all the time. Something to happened to Biden when he got hair plugs, says Amanda from Pike County. Paul and Hernando says, so who is the nominee? I really don't know, but I do believe that that Kamala Harris and Gavin Newsom are waiting in the wings, waiting to pounce. There's rumors about Michelle Obama, Hillary Clinton even, jumping in again. Can't really verify any of that. Just rumors at this, at this point, nothing official from either of those individuals. These polls about Joe Biden are fake news, Russia disinformation, racist, and a threat to democracy. The FBI will investigate. Heads will roll. <laughs> says Jerry and Ponatop. Let's see. Does he get to keep all his contributions? Talking about Shawaski Young. Don't think you can use those for personal purposes anymore. Right? We had some. Uh, we we went through that a few weeks ago. We had some laws passed with respect to election campaign finance, and there was a great deal more latitude, shall we say, by the candidate for those laws passed. Pretty sure you can't just pocket that and convert it to personal use like you could before. Can you share what Hank's cause of death was? Seems like I just heard him a few weeks ago, says Bruce in the cap. I've not seen anything officially I don't think it's been released, released yet. yet, so we don't know. Gallo talked about the residency issue. He voted in California. Okay. That's from VM Squared. I haven't looked at it, uh, so I don't I don't know. But I'll take your word for it. Uh, at this point, the official statement is that um, he's experiencing serious hypertension, and he's got to deal with that. And that, we don't know. I mean, it's, this is a man who offers a reason for dropping out of the race, citing medical issues. I, I hesitate to question that at this point. Gerard, if Biden does have dementia, he may not live to the next election. You know, I, I differ from a lot of people on that. Rhino, you remember shortly after he was elected, even prior to the election in 2020, there were lots of people that said he won't make it through the whole term. And I think most people thought, honestly, he'd be gone by now. I think most people are a little surprised that, you know, he only has a year and three months left, less than that, um, to the election. So I think that um, I think a lot of people are surprised that he's come this far. I don't I don't think that's the case. I really don't. I I don't think that he's in such imminently bad health. You know that that something would would take him. I really don't see that at this point. I think he will make it. Whether or not he's the nominee, you know, my my bet's on that he's not. I just I believe something is going to happen that's going to cause him to, shall we say, decide not to run for re-election. 
From Toby Barker's Facebook posts, Mr. Barker, of course, the mayor of Hattiesburg, it appears he's got a tax increase up his sleeve to cover the PERS increase. Well, that's interesting. That's on the ceasefire tax line. You know, we've talked about that quite a bit on the program, trying to call attention to what I think is an elephant in the room that's just sitting over in the corner that nobody pays attention to, and that's PERS, the PERS dilemma. And right now, what we do know is that employers are going to be saddled with a 5% increase in their contribution to their employees' PERS account July 1, 2024. That, for sure, is going into effect. That was a change made by the PERS board. The PERS board the Public Employees Retirement System, if you're wondering what PERS is. Um, the PERS board has the authority to adjust the contribution rate of employers. Only the legislature can do so for the employees. So right now, a 5%, a 5% increase it's actually five percentage points, let me be clear. Not five percent of the current contribution rate, but five percentage points, which I think would put the rate, if I'm not mistaken, Rhino, at 22.4% for employers, public sector employers in Mississippi, effective July 1, 2024. And yeah, that, that burden is placed on all public sector entities, including the city of Hattiesburg, which uh, Mayor Barker, of course, serves. And that means the city's got to come up with the additional funds to cover the increased contribution for their employees. And and I guess, and, and you know, we've interviewed Mr. Barker, Mayor Barker, a couple of times, and we've asked him about the PERS increase, and he gets... Uh, he gets pretty intense about it, shall we say. He's concerned about, hey, how do we come up with this additional expense that is being laid at our feet? So I'm not surprised to hear he's talking about increasing taxes to raise more revenue, and that would be sales taxes or property taxes to do so. The Beach Boys bumping us out of this segment here. We're coming right back with half an hour, and then Secretary of State Michael Watson. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. When I wake up, well, I know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man who wakes up next to you. When I go out, yeah, I know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man who goes along with you. If I get drunk, well, I know I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be the man who gets drunk next to you And if I heaver Yeah, I know I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the man who's heavering too Welcome back, everyone. Middays, Super Talk Mississippi. Eric in Philadelphia says, I talked to Mr. Young. He needs to change party to the conservative party. Well, I don't know about that. We interviewed him uh, during his campaign for Congress. I, I wouldn't exactly describe him as a, a typical Washington Democrat, 
most of whom are just radical, honestly. But I, I don't know that I would would frame him as conservative either. I'd say he's more of a, a moderate. By the way, looked it up, a five-year residency requirement to run for statewide office, Secretary of State uh, specifically, is enumerated in the Mississippi Constitution, must be, a, quote, a citizen of the state for five years, quote, preceding the date of the election. So apparently... He did vote, did Mr. Mr. Young, in races in California. Looks like maybe 2018 and 2020. So he was he was uh, sent a letter. Mr. Young was dated August 15th from the Elections Compliance Officer, the Secretary of State's office. Okay, so this Elections Commission, best I can tell, Rhino is essentially a tribunal consisting of the governor. It's what it looks to me like, the governor, the attorney general, and the secretary of state. I honestly didn't know such existed. And so the affidavit that's been tendered to the commission has got to be investigated by them. That I didn't know that that they if they feel like that his health issues are legitimate for dropping out, they accept it. But they can also vote to reject the affidavit, and that may be an issue in what the party can do as far as uh, submitting the name of someone else as a candidate to represent the Democrats in the Secretary of State's race. So that's kind of interesting that you would have your opponent, general election opponent, sitting on a commission. Hmm. So I don't know how to if I'm pronouncing this correctly. C-H-E-I-K-H. I didn't even know that. Is that Shike? Sheik? Taylor? Chair of the Mississippi Democratic Party? I know the chair of the Democratic Party has been in flux quite a bit. But um, said they plan to name a replacement for Young sometime this week. Didn't offer the name of a specific person. Interesting. So we'll see where all that goes. Apparently, records indicate that he cast ballots in 2018 and 2020 in California. That's what the letter said that he received from the Secretary of State. So my guess is they have... They've investigated that as well, explored that, and came up with that information. In, very interesting. Gary in the Berg says, listen to press secretary pronounce the word emeritus. I haven't. What did she say there? I, I missed that. You know anything about that, Rhino? Tell What did she say there, Gary? Tell us about that. Arlen in Wayne County. First, rest in peace, Hank Burdine. Also said, Dan Bongino has said that Michelle Obama may be a candidate. I've heard the same. I mean, it's just at this point, I don't think how you could assign that anything but rumor status. She's certainly not said anything about it that I'm aware of, of expressing her interest in running for president. It's really interesting. Uh, they need to name the pumps after Hank. I would agree. 
That's on the ceasefire text line. Somebody, uh, let's see, Moe says, if Biden does have dementia, he may not live to the next election. Yeah, I think we covered that. I, I, it's, I mean, that's true, certainly. Dementia is deadly and at some point will cause a person to pass away. But we'll see. Boyd in Lumberton says, shuffling the feet is a sign of Alzheimer's. Doctor told me about that with respect to my mother-in-law. Appreciate that. That's interesting. Uh, also on the ceasefire text line, whoa, Donald in Oxford says, just caught the tail end of that. Who wants to raise property and sales tax? Well, to be clear, we're not saying that anybody wants to. I've, I've not seen anything, but we did have someone on the text line say that they've seen some social media posts to that effect that were published by the mayor of Hattiesburg, Toby Barker. I can say in interviewing the mayor of Hattiesburg, Toby Barker, that he he expressed concerns about funding the increase in the PERS contribution rate. There's absolutely no doubt about that. I, would you agree, Rhino? We had him on the show a couple of times, and when I asked that question to him, yeah, that's a problem. I don't know if we're going to get the money. And that's others that we interviewed, like at the MML conferences, where we talked to so many municipal leaders, of course, that's what it's their conference. And when I'd ask that question to them, they, they kind of took it in stride. Yeah, we know. We got that coming up. We just have to deal with it. And it, You know, nobody seemed to be terribly upset about it. And by the way, it's, it's a $20 billion unfunded liability. It's not chicken scratch. And sure, raising the contribution rate by 5%, the employer side of that, will certainly help any thing helps that increases revenue or decreases benefits, like I've always said, or a combination of the two, which is what's needed to stabilize the fund, but it, it won't it won't elevate it to, hey, we're in good shape, stable financial footing. It just helps. That is something that the legislature, I feel certain, is going to take up and it's likely going to be in the first year of this coming term when folks don't remember it come election time next in the next four years, four years from now. Because it's, it's not a popular issue because there's nothing that can be done that's not going to cause some pain to somebody some, somehow, somewhere, be it taxpayers or employees or employers or all the above. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a tough deal. It's a tough matter. I noticed that last week during the debate, the same issues which are plaguing Social Security and Medicare got no attention. None. However, presidential candidate Nikki Haley has at least come out and indicated her support for raising the retirement age as a way to address the, uh, the unfunded liability, the shortfall there. And at least Mike Pence did say, yeah, there's something we need to talk about. Really nothing specific or definitive in the way of policy proposals. But Nikki Haley has said that on the record, that she's for raising the, uh, the retirement age of Social Security as a way to, to address the issue. 
Our state retirement funding is in trouble, just as Social Security says, Mike, in Gulfport, and I pray we aren't going to just overlook it like our federal government. Well, I, I agree uh, with you there, Mike, and it's why we've talked about it so many times on the program, because I do think it's a pressing matter, and I do think that the, the pain will be at a lower rate if we address it now rather than kick the can down the road, which is exactly, as you say, Mike, Social Security and Medicare uh, have done. The difference is they can just print money. That's what they've been doing, right, to, to meet spending needs. And the state can't do that. The state has to balance the budget. And, and the state has a financial obligation to, uh, to purge recipients, purge contributors. So you've got to figure something out. And so you'll know, guys, when a public sector entity that, uh, let, let's say, a municipal uh, or a county level or, or other organizations, entities that are not audited by the state auditor because they don't receive state funds, but they're audited by private, like a city, audited by a private CPA firm. Because those employees participate in a defined, a public sector defined uh, benefit plan in PERS, and the fact that those entities, in this case a municipality, contribute on behalf of the employee to it. If you look at any of those financial statements, you'll see numerous pages of footnotes specifically discussing PERS, and you'll also see their share of the unfunded liability on the balance sheet, because they technically are responsible for it. This is why Mayor Barker is indicating, I guess, according to reports here on our text line, that we might have to raise taxes to cover the the employer share that the city would bear when this rate increase goes into effect. That's why. We're coming back with another segment in this hour, then Michael Watson after the news. Come on. Come on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back. On Super Talk Mississippi. We are back. It's midday, Super Talk Mississippi. We thank you so much for uh, joining us. So, you know, I had uh, I said something uh, yesterday. I'm headed up to Oxford. Looking forward to it uh, Thursday to deliver the closing remarks to Rushies uh, at my college fraternity. Expecting four groups is what I'm told. But I saw a rhino. You know about this case, folks. You, you may not, but it's, um, it's got some notoriety. It's a sorority in Wyoming. 
University of Wyoming. And the sorority sisters, this is the uh, Kappa Kappa Gamma sorority. Very well known um, national group. They filed a suit to block a transgender woman from joining. And this was something that I believe was was being supported and handed down, if you will, by their national organization. So they filed a suit. Well, the judge dismissed it. The judges dismissed it. You've seen this, right? So, oh yeah. Um, this isn't crazy. I just got to tell you. I, I think back on. Remember the speech that Sarah Huckabee Sanders made after the State of the Union? <laughs> and she described the stuff the Democrats do it as, well, it's just crazy, <laughs> which I think is a perfect way to describe it. This is crazy. It just is. The situation is crazy. I would hesitate to call the judge crazy because it seems like the judge is following the law. The judge doesn't have standing to tell a voluntary private organization how to run their business. That is true. And that, and, and I agree with you. And the last thing I want is the judge or the legal system or government involved in the operations of these private clubs, essentially, these private organizations, because they are. They're privately funded, and they're privately organized, and I believe that's all afforded to us in the First Amendment. And one of the problems is this is that they can't seem to define a woman. That's the pro- you've seen that, right? This is the problem again. We're struggling with what is a woman. Now this is insane to me that we're even having these discussions in this country, but this gender ideology stuff is taking this nation by storm. It has been injected into every corner and aspect of society. And I'm looking at this photo. You you may have seen this. And it's of a few of the members of the Kappa Kappa Gamma sorority at the University of Wyoming. And they're all dressed in like a, a T-shirt. I can't see. Maybe it has their Greek letters on it or something. And they're in, they're in blue jeans and they're posing in a typical sort of of um, sorority photo. And you can see this dude in the middle of them. And it's pretty clear it's a dude. I mean, there's no question. And this is one of these people that probably get militant if you called them, sir. It's ma'am. <laughs> it's is sick. It really is. And it's it's just another example of how the left in this country, just, they hate fun. They really do. Everything is do do without, deal with less, hate fun. Don't believe your lying eyes. Right, exactly. And yesterday I, I shared with you this video I saw that unfortunately had profanity in it. We couldn't share with you on the air, but this uh, candidate for Congress speaking and just got shouted down by all these transgender activists because he called he called this this um uh this female ma'am who had 
says they transitioned. It's sir. It's going crazy. And they're all sitting in the audience with these goofy masks on. And they come up out of their chairs and they pull those masks down. And they start spitting at him. I don't know if I shared that part of it yesterday. But that, that's how they do it. And then Riley Gaines was somewhere over the weekend. You know who she is, the female. We had her here on the program, that all-American swimmer tied with Leah Thomas in an event in the NCAA elected to award uh, the uh, first place to Mr. Thomas. Well, she was speaking somewhere, and all these activists show up, and they're just shouting F-bombs at her. Oh, they're so nice, aren't they? That'll really get people to see things your way. We're stepping aside for Fox News, Super Talk News. Secretary of State Michael Watson is next. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's Middays, live from the Element Well Studio. Primary election day runoff, I should say. The runoff for the primaries is happening today across the great state of Mississippi, and we welcome to the program Mississippi's Secretary of State, Michael Watson. Mr. Secretary, give us an update on the runoffs today. Yeah, so we are uh, quiet around the office. Uh, not, a, not a ton of calls coming in, and hearing a little report here and there from low turnout. We've got about 65 counties that have runoffs today, so we hope that uh, Mississippians will really kind of wake up and understand how important these are. A lot of local runoffs, and as you know well, we've talked about this before, yeah. uh, those, those individuals at the local level will impact your life much more quickly than someone at the federal level. So really important elections today. Absolutely. All right, so explain what one must do to qualify to vote in a runoff. So we, that's, a, that's a great question. We actually had an issue in Hines County today where, as we understand it, there are a couple of precincts where folks were marked incorrectly. And for that, I'll say just for an example, let's say that they voted in uh, the Republican primary on the front end. Yeah. Now they have come back out to vote in the Democratic runoff. And they're being told you cannot vote in Democratic runoff if you voted in the Republican primary to start with. And that is correct. However, uh, if they mark them incorrectly, and they should be allowed to vote in the Democratic primary because they voted as a Democrat in the original primary, uh, then, then that's, that's how it's supposed to work. So if you voted in the Democratic primary, you can vote in the runoff. If you voted in the Republican primary, you can't vote in the Republican runoff. If you didn't vote at all, you can vote in either of the runoffs. So that's kind of just a quick breakdown of how that works. Yeah, and, and that is, uh, is controlled, is determined at the precinct, right? It's the poll workers that have that information available to them and make that determination. That's correct. And if it was marked incorrectly, then there's going to be some issues, and that's kind of what we've heard a little bit out of Himes County. Uh, so they are working on that currently to make sure that that is corrected. Okay. 
All right. So, but you've so you had an issue with that. You're saying in Hines County today, but no other reports of of that sort of um, just crossover problem in any other of the uh, races. That's the only one we've heard so far, okay. and uh, hopefully that stays that way. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that's. Um, yeah. It, it, I think it's important to always highlight that because I'm not sure that that is a, a widely understood aspect of our election rules and process in Mississippi. But the big thing is, if you voted on August 8th in the Republican primary, you can only vote in the a Republican runoff and vice versa. If you voted in Democrat, you can only vote the Democrat. If you didn't vote at all on August 8th, you can vote neither. That's right. And, and I think, Gerard, if I remember correctly, I saw an article out there that the AP had put out uh, that had some incorrect information. So I appreciate you touching on that this morning oh. to make sure the folks are aware that they can uh, follow those rules. Yeah, absolutely. So what if you show up today, Mr. Secretary, and uh, you have registered to vote and it's not found at the poll where you were supposed to vote? They don't find you in the system. What what happens then? Well, you'll always be allowed to vote by an affidavit ballot. Uh, you know, some folks call those provisional ballots, but just to make sure that people understand, you can always cast an affidavit ballot. And then if there's an issue somehow that, uh, like the, the person did correctly register and they were, were timely, uh, at the, uh, conclusion of the election today, the resolution board, uh, will go through all of those affidavit ballots and decide which ones should be counted and which ones should not. So that's kind of the, the quick, uh, overview of the process and how it's supposed to work. Gotcha. So you said at the, at the top of the conversation, we have runoffs occurring in 65 counties. Is that is that correct? That's right. With uh, probably, I think we have about six legislative races included in there, and some of those will be multi-county, but uh, 65 counties have uh, some type of election today. So the vast majority, clearly, of the state uh, should be out there voting in the polls. Yeah. Okay. So that And that's the point I was going to make with, with only six legislative races that uh, advance to runoffs, and no statewide, right, that I'm aware of in, in either of the parties went to runoff status. So that means that in these 65 counties, the vast majority of these runoff elections are, are local races. Absolutely. And again, just to emphasize that point, those are the ones that are impact your life much more quickly than even the statewide level, yeah. uh, but definitely the federal level. So folks need to be paying attention to who's going to be guiding their county uh, and you know, effectively the state as well at the local level. Same hours, right? 7 a.m., 7 p.m., got to show a photo ID. That's exactly right. We've got 10 forms of ID folks can show. Uh, and just to remind them, if they are in line by 7 p.m., they will be allowed to vote. Uh, so typically what happens, and I think we talked about this before, the bailiff, if there is a line, the bailiff will come out and uh, mark the end of the line by the person that's in there at 5, 7 p.m. to make sure that they are allowed to vote. Yeah, okay, got it. So I uh, wanted to uh, pivot a bit and talk about uh, who was uh, at least set to be your opponent in the general election, Mr. Uh, Shawaski Young, Democrat, candidate for Secretary of State, abruptly announced that he was uh, pulling out of the race, indicated that it's due to health reasons. And so I'll have to tell you, Mr. Secretary, I wasn't aware that we had this this board, elections board, I believe is what it's called, that is a tribunal structure, is that right, that consists of the governor, the attorney general, and the secretary of state. 
That's exactly right. The State Board of Election Commissioners. Uh, so basically, the, the general function that folks would probably need to be aware of is uh, once the primaries take place and then it moves on to the general, we all uh, meet and make sure that the, the general folks are going to be on the ballot uh, that are in multi-district or statewide level will have met the qualifications and should, in fact, be placed on the ballot. So uh, that's kind of the bigger function of the group. But in this instance, uh, you're right. If um, an individual, in this instance, uh, our, our friend Shuhafi Young, and, and God, uh, you know, praying that God would bless him and, and make him whole, uh, so encourage the rest of the state to do that as well. Uh, but in this case, if he does withdraw, and it's for health reason. He sends in his affidavit, and it has to have uh, you know, the doctor has to sign off on this. It can't be just the candidate. Uh, then the state board of election commissioners has uh, five days to accept or reject, and then uh, the party uh, executive committee has to uh, send in a replacement for that candidate if the affidavit is accepted. And then the um, and the interesting thing here, Gerard, is that the, the statute isn't clear on the timeline by when. They need to send that name in. So hmm. uh, that may get interesting uh, as, as you look at, you know, 45 days out for uh, absentee voting. Uh, clearly, the ballot has to be printed before then. So it's going to be a little bit of a time crunch. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what happens with that one. So, Ms. Secretary, what would cause the board to reject an affidavit, in this case, one that says um, that the candidate is experiencing health problems and is accompanied by uh, doctor's information that attests to that, what would be the reason, if that should occur, that the board would reject that? You know, I'm not real sure on the historical context there, if that's happened before. Uh, this is an interesting case, and uh, just to be clear to all of our listeners here, I, I've removed myself from that process since okay. I am on the ballot myself. Uh, so my office has been handling all that information, but uh, about a week and a half ago, we were the SBEC was supposed to meet last Monday. Uh, so the week prior to that, we had sent information out, uh, the office did, to, to actually uh, encourage him to bring some proof of residency. Uh, yeah. There's proof out there that he has voted in California in 2018 and 2020. So the question is going to be, you know, uh, let's make sure that this, this health issue is um, – after they is documented by a doctor, uh, and I don't know why the, the commission wouldn't accept that, but that's, uh, I'm going to recuse myself, so they're going to have to make that decision uh, themselves. So is is the the uh, the act of accepting it necessary then for the party to have the the power to name someone else? So if they do not accept it within five days, uh, accept or reject, uh, basically the SBC has five days to do one or the other. And if, if nothing is done, then that becomes a question: Can the state board of uh, state Democratic Party even replace him? So I see. Again, statute's not super clear on that issue. So uh, just as it's not clear on the timeline they have to send a name, so yeah. um, that, that's going to get a little interesting. Yeah, it is. And of course, there there are uh, some questions about uh, Mr. Young's residency, whether or not he meets that requirement. I believe five years of residency. Uh, prior to running for statewide office, in this case, our Constitution enumerates that, and uh, certainly for Secretary of State. So that that's a question. But if uh, I mean his official statement is that he's experiencing health problems, and and, and like you, we certainly hope that uh, those get resolved. Uh, we we that's right. yeah we don't we don't want anybody to and you certainly the stress and pressure of being a, a candidate for political office could exacerbate that problem that, that he's indicated his hypertension. We don't want that 
to be the case. Want him to get well. So, but we always we always appreciate you coming on the program and uh, giving us some insight on election day. And I'm sure we'll be talking to you soon. Thanks a lot, Miss Sector. Happy to do so. Get out there and vote, Mississippi. We're coming right back with more folks in the Element Well Studio. Stay with us. And now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Now, now, on to the real part. On Super Talk Mississippi. Back in the Element Well Studio, appreciate Secretary of State Michael Watson connecting in and giving us a rundown of the runoffs. Really, uh, no statewide high-profile runoffs. Um, it hasn't gotten the buzz, you know, that um, you typically would have if if that were, were the case. But I hope that doesn't deter people from getting out and voting if they um, live in areas where there are runoff elections that cover their, their districts at either the local or the state level. So there was a question about the story I shared with respect to the Kappa Kappa Gamma sorority at the University of Wyoming that um, has a transgender member. And so I should have clarified, the sorority extended that person a bit. They were admitted to the sorority. The lawsuit was filed by six members and, I believe, one alumnus. And what it has to do with, the the, the heart of the suit, of the case, is that the sorority's bylaws at the national level say that it, it is an organization designed for women. Problem is, they want to find a woman, and neither would the court. That's the fundamental problem in our whole dang country with this gender crap. We cannot, we will not define a man and a woman. It's insane when you think about it. And we're teaching children as young as pre-K the same garbage. Oh, no. It's not based on their biological gender just because... Even a four-year-old can look at a person and say, yeah, that's a boy, that's a girl, that's a man, that's a woman. No, they can't do that. You don't know how they feel, how they identify. It's garbage like that. So that's what's going on here. And, And I agree with you that you don't want to see courts, judges, government insert themselves in private organizations like this. Absolutely. But think about how crazy this is, man. This is crazy. Just crazy. I don't know how else to define it 
That's why I think the sorority sisters that filed the suit went about it the wrong way. They shouldn't have filed it in court. They should have filed it with their Title IX office or their Student Affairs office or whoever's in charge of sexual harassment claims on campus, because that's the reason they filed the suit. (laughs) The transgender student was watching them undress while erect. Exactly. That's sexual harassment. They, exactly. In fact, and if they really wanted to get rid of this dude in a dress, all they got to do is tell their campus that they've been sexually harassed because we've seen time and time again there is no due process on campus, especially when it comes to sexual harassment claims. Oh, they jump all over it. Yes! They may like jackpot. I'm telling you. It's the same deal when you have any, any sort of, of violence that involves a, a white person, especially a white cop that commits some act of violence towards um, a black citizen. No doubt about it. No matter what the facts are, even if it's in self-defense or to prevent that person from doing harm to others, doesn't matter. And it's the same thing here, this gender stuff. So the, uh, the, in the lawsuit, the, um, the plaintiffs, the six members of the sorority who filed the lawsuit, said that his behavior does not reflect a man living as a woman, let, let alone a man attempting to consistently live as a woman. says, other than occasionally wearing women's clothing, he makes little effort to resemble a woman. He has not undergone treatments to create a more feminine appearance, such as female hormones, feminization surgery, or laser hair removal. Can you believe this crap's in a lawsuit? Plaintiffs often observe Langford with the facial hair one would expect on a man who either did not shave that morning or whose facial hair has regrown by the evening. That's in a lawsuit. Gosh, dog it, man. It said that also says in the suit, other documents uh, included, allege unacceptable behavior such as voyeuristically peeping on them while they were in intimate situations and in at least one occasion had a visible erection while doing so. You don't say. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Oh, jeez. Where's the Me Too movement? <laughs> exactly. Oh, it's just incredible. It's incredible. Redefining a woman, says William and Cortland, the term natural born comes to mind just as being a citizen. It's crazy. I guess on the ceasefire text line, we're going to have to require a karyotype test be put in our bylaws of different groups that states if you are XX, you will be competing with females. And if you're XY, you'll be in the male group. That way, we don't care what you think. You are where you tuck parts of your anatomy. You will be competing with your biological makeup through though you most closely resemble. Yeah, it's... um. It's just total insanity. I don't know what else to call it. Looks like we're going to have to designate these organizations by chromosome type instead of gender, says Jim from Ripley. Not a bad idea. I mean, it is. it does kind of bring to the forefront perhaps the need 
for these private organizations to define what the gender that uh, is eligible to be a member, qualifies to be a member, and how we determine that. Oh, man. They did it to themselves. Now deal with it. There's truth to that, but it's, Mike and Gulfport says that. I mean, in that, the sorority did extend a bid, but it's obviously some members didn't agree with that, but there were enough that did. Usually it's just a simple majority, but in my years of being in a fraternity, it, it pretty much needed to be unanimous. If you, had, if you didn't have a unanimous vote, it's a bad situation. Who, who wants to be a member of a club like that where everybody doesn't want you to be a member? How could that be enjoyable? The be, kind of people that crave attention, <laughs> even negative attention? That's a good point. That's terrible. There's got to be a sorority on campus that doesn't have a transgender individual trying to be a part of it that they can take their money to because it ain't cheap to be in, a, in Greece. That's true. That's true. That's true. Why have you played It's a Man's World twice in the last few weeks? <laughs> it's not a top 100 tune. A little subliminal messaging going on, perhaps, on the ceasefire text line. <laughs> oh, gosh. The good Lord above is going to take us to the woodshed if we keep this crap up, says Johnny and Brandon. I, at this point, I'd say you're going to see it continue to gain steam. Then I think it's like a lot of other stuff. It's a fad. That, that I think is just going to subside. Don't you? I think that's kind of what's what's likely to be the, the case here. But this accommodation stuff is crazy, and that's what this is. And it's the virtue signaling. Look at us. We got a tranny member of our club. That's all that is. It's attention. No doubt about it. You say it all the time. They want they they don't want to hear about chromosomes, says CC and Senatobia. That's factual truth. It's all about them being whatever they tell you they are. Yeah, it sure seems like it. And I think people are sick of it. <clears throat> I really do. Uh there was uh let's see, something else I saw related to this. Yeah, <clears throat> this is this is a, a story about an Austin-based doctor performing non-binary genital surgeries. And this is on adults because they don't allow it on such surgeries on uh, minors in Texas. This this dude's got businesses, um, sex change facilities in San Francisco, clinics, Austin, has five doctors, conducts procedures on more than 1,000 patients a year. Seems like an awful lot. And it's just to go into all these great deeds, this report, I'm not going to get into it. I'm going I'm to change subjects. I'm tired of talking about it. We're going to talk about economics and finance when we come back. Because guess what? It's time to fund the government again. Oh, yeah, you know that process? We're going to dig into that a little bit when we come back on Middays. Mitch Tyner coming up at 12.05. Stay with us.
with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. Motown there, it's our understanding that Mr. Burdine was a big fan, right? Motown. Someone on our text line said they're friends with Hank, and and we are so sorry to hear about his passing, but that uh, is in his memory there. A little classic Motown, My Girl by the Temptations. We appreciate you joining us uh, today. It's uh, We're in the Element Well studio. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. The Dow having a pretty good day, a little rally going up, on up 220 points. The NASDAQ. Up a point and a half, 215 points, 1.5%, I should say. And they're, they're, the markets are trending upward, anticipating some positive news on the inflation front. That is expected to be released Thursday. The metric that the Fed pays the most attention to, the PCE, the Personal Consumption Expense Gauge, we're supposed to see that on Thursday. Also, the Jai, the job openings report, also known as the JOLTS report, job opening labor transfer, that's supposed to be coming out as well. So right now, there's a bit of positive momentum that's driving the markets in the green. However, mortgage rates are at a 22-year high, I believe, right now, where they're sitting, and the price of a home in this country also at an all-time high, and credit card debt is at an all-time high. So clearly, kitchen table economic issues, I think, will be the top priority to voters as we approach the 2024 presidential election and, of course, House election, uh, all members of the House uh, every two years, as you know, and then a number of key Senate races up for grabs as well. The economy and economic conditions will clearly play a huge role in that. Now, it's been just over a year since the most inappropriately named bill of all time coming out of the U.S. Congress, that being the Inflation Reduction Act, was passed. And there's lots of, um, I guess, post-passage analysis, if you will. whole bunch of money is just being handed out for green energy. 
manufacturing in particular, $86 billion of investment from the Inflation Reduction Act. The manufacturing industry seems to presently be benefiting the most, certainly in terms of federal dollars. So that's okay, right? It's, it's just, again, I point out the hypocrisy of the left who, who typically just torches, I mean, skewers this idea of, of uh, public money subsidies going to corporate America. But when it's to these green energy startups, most of which will fail, oh, they're cool with that. That's noble. We're saving the planet. So you got a whole bunch of money going out the door. 39 states said report that they have seen factory activity, new factory activity and project announcements worth more than $86 billion as a direct result of the Inflation Reduction Act. So imagine that. You can just go print money and then just go give it to people and they'll set up factories. Now, whether or not those companies are viable economically and are sustainable, well, that's beside the point. They're helping the environment. They're saving the planet. I saw where, I believe it's now the state of Maine, if I'm not mistaken, is seriously considering banning all fossil fuels-powered vehicles Within 10 years, by, is it 20, uh, 2033? I may have the date wrong there, but it's this is receiving lots of criticism from citizens in Maine. 2032. 32, okay, missed it by a year. Uh, but it's a total ban, right? Isn't that what you see? They want no gas-powered vehicles on the road. Uh, according to justthenews.com, which was yeah. the first thing that popped it up, they have a goal of 82% by 2032. Okay. Well, maybe it's 100% by 33, but 82% is a lot, let's put it that way. And this is what they want. I mean, truly, they've got this nutty idea that, yeah, if we just force everybody to drive electric vehicles, we'll save the planet, while China's opened up a coal plant a week or something crazy like that. Meanwhile, the Department of Energy wants to make your ceiling fan more efficient to save you a whole $4 a year. I saw that. Again, they it's just have to impose on your life. They just they they relish in that, don't they? I mean, it's just incredible that they just people sit around and dream the stuff up. It's your ceiling fans, your light bulbs, your pizza ovens, your dishwashers, your washing machines, your showers, your air conditioners. What, what am I missing? I know there's other stuff on that they've got their sights set on as well. Of course, you're Pretty vehicles. much any major and minor home appliance. It's just crazy. So South Carolina and Georgia, it turns out, they're the biggest winners in terms of investment in all these new green projects. The state of South Carolina says they think that... Uh, the Inflation Reduction Act and all the money going out to these these startup, or it could be existing companies that are expanding into this area, $10.9 billion they expect to receive. 18 projects, 
10,272 jobs. Now, on the surface, an average person will say, well, hey, that's great. $10 billion, 18 projects, 10,000 jobs. Except when you, when you dig into it and you drill into what's causing this, what's allowing this, it's just more money left on our debt that nobody ever seems to talk about. Well, where did that come from? We just printed it out of thin air. And that's what happens when you're in Washington and you're cobbling together budgets and you don't have to worry about how much is coming in. They literally don't worry about how much is coming in. Imagine running your household like that. I don't have to worry about my income. I just buy what I want. That's how they operate. And that's evidenced by the fact that we're on track, as we shared with you before on the program, to produce a $2 trillion deficit this fiscal year that ends September 30th. That's after a $1.4 trillion deficit last year and a 2.8 the year before. And in 2020, it was 3.1. We're talking trillions here. Trillions. So now we got a possible showdown setting up in the Congress because it's time to fund the government again and Republicans in the House are clashing on how much to spend. You've got the more conservative wing that says we got to make some significant changes. And, and again, we're only talking about the discretionary part of government because the mandatory part, so-called mandatory, comprises 70% of spending. We're only dealing with the 30% that the Congress actually appropriates on an annual basis. The 70% is funded by statute. Not saying that you couldn't change those statutes, but just remember, got to have 60 votes in the, in the Senate to do so. Not likely. So it pretty much is on autopilot. For a long time. Well, I, 30% is what the Congress deals with. Again, the Republicans say can't touch defense. Well, okay, that's half of that 30%, untouchable. Now you got the other half, that's the non defense discretionary. And for the most part, the Democrats say can't touch that. That literally is how we do a budget. You can't even call it a budget, it's just appropriating for discretionary spending in this country. But the Freedom Caucus is demanding some things to get on board with funding the government. This is causing pain, of course, for Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy. We'll see where this lands, but this is all going to unfold in the, in the next few weeks because uh, at some point pretty soon we run out of money. Again, just crazy. Something else we're not hearing a lot about is the Trump tax cuts. Didn't hear much about that last week, like, if at all, during the RNC debate among the eight candidates. Coming right back, final segment, then Mitch Tyner after the top of the hour. You know what that means. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. We'll do it live. On Super Talk Mississippi. Thank you. 
Welcome back to Middays. We are live in the Element Well studio. Join Sports Talk Mississippi on Thursday live at College Corner's new location in Oxford off Sisk Avenue in the Oxford Commons. Get all your game day gear for kickoff with great deals throughout the store. Your new home for your collegiate gear is College Corner. On the ceasefire text line, Jeff says a transgender tried to get in a sorority at USM, and he he was told no. It's just disgusting. I didn't know that. How about that? Keith and Baton says Gerard, get me on the phone. I can identify a woman. <laughs> so we were talking in the last segment about the Freedom Caucus in the House of Representatives that is insisting on some concessions or certainly some uh, some policy they want to see when they get back together and fund the discretionary aspects of government. Got to have a funding bill to do that. Something you heard so little about and have heard little about during the campaign, virtually nothing about during last week's RNC debate. And I'm disappointed because no questions related to this were asked. And that's the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, also known as the Trump Tax Cuts, because the individual provisions are set to expire at the end of 2025. That's coming up. Now, what that means is that the vast majority of the people tuned in right now are going to experience a tax increase if this bill is either, this law is either not extended or a new law is passed that includes many of the provisions found in the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that resulted in tidy tax savings for the vast majority of Americans, regardless of their income. Now, the left wants you to believe that it all went to the billionaire Trump's rich friends. That's what they hear. That's what they say all the time. Hell, as far as I can tell, the majority of the rich people in this country aren't Trump's friends. They're friends of the Democrat Party. So that's just false. Um, but this is on the horizon, and it is, it's, it's brewing, and you're not seeing anybody talk about it. Mike Pence did allude to it just a bit. He, he did make the statement that, that, what we're saying, that this thing expires at the end of 25, that action needs to be taken, and in fact, he even went on to say, we want to cut even more. Now that is absolutely, when you, when you say that to Democrats, that's like holy water being thrown on the devil. It's, uh, it's melt down. They just fizzle. They can't, you just can't deal with it. This idea of cutting taxes. I don't even know why they care, to be honest with you. Because it's not like you limit spending based on revenue. I could kind of understand it if you said, geez, we can't do that. 
we got to have the revenue to support all my pet project programs. We don't do that. We don't limit what we spend based on what comes in. Why do you even care? That begs the question you've seen many ask. Why do we even pay taxes at all? And honestly, in modern monetary theory, that concept, the taxes only serve to somewhat keep inflation in check. They're not like being paid to fund the constitutionally appropriate functions of government because government doesn't just fund those functions. It funds whatever the heck it can ram through without regard for how much money they got to spend. That's literally how they run the deal. So when they take up this matter here in a couple of months, they're not going to like look on the revenue side of the income statement and say, well, this is how much we got. Let's figure out how we fit the spending into that. That doesn't happen, which is crazy. The federal government, as far as I can tell, is the only entity in the country that has that, enjoys that sort of latitude and that privilege. Well, we don't have to worry about what we got coming in. We just spend whatever the hell we want. Here you go, have some. Here's $86 billion to green corporations. Have it. Look at us. We're saving the planet. Vote for me. That's exactly where we are. But pay attention, folks. This is a major issue, and nobody wants to talk about it because it's not popular to discuss. Sure do wish more Republican candidates would discuss this uh, reality. This thing is... Fading away at the end of 25. Fox News, Super Talk News next. Then Mitch Tyner, attorney and political analyst to 12.05. And now, another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour three, the afternoon portion of Middays. Back with you live from the Element Well studio. We welcome to the program now Mitch Tyner, attorney with the Tyner Law Firm, also a political analyst. Mitch, what's going on? You're traveling today, aren't you? Well, I have been traveling. I, I was supposed to go to New York, I thought, but uh, that got postponed until next month. So oh, okay. We're, uh, we're going to be up there to ring the bell for a, a company I've been consulting uh, for some time now. Uh, they're spinning off their development portion of the company. Uh, and the company is uh, Safe and Green Holdings, SGBX, if you want to look it up. We yeah. do mostly um, man- manufactured buildings. Um, and then we started doing some medical stuff and then also uh, development companies. So we're spinning off the development company. It'll be a separate publicly traded company. Are they going to be listed on uh, the New York or the NASDAQ? They'll be on the NASDAQ. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. That's That yeah. ought to be fun. That's cool. I'm excited about it. I've never 
had the chance to ring the bell, so this will be a first for me. So yeah, congratulations. A, a fun time. That's awesome. Thank you, man. Yeah. All right, so uh, give us your thoughts. We had the uh, debates last week, the debate, I should say, the um, Republican candidates uh, for president, absent Mr. Trump, who, of course, leads all candidates, uh, currently polling at around 50%. I think prior to the debate, he was 55 56%. So there's a couple of them have, have um, taken a bit out of his lead, but he still has a monumental lead when you consider that there are uh, nine, ten other candidates, maybe even more than that, in the race, but certainly eight on the stage last week. Do you expect any change going forward, or do you think that uh, former President no, Trump's I, in good I, shape? I think the clear, the clear winner of that debate is Donald Trump. Um, he he suffered none for not not being there. Yeah. Um, quite frankly, I, I'm always uh, unhappy when someone doesn't debate because uh, I think that the public should get the opportunity to to view them. Um, but I think that was the right choice here. Uh, everyone has seen him debate in the past, and we don't need a repeat of that. So I think it's really a wise decision not to do it. Um, as far as the debate, it, it, no one really stood out. Uh, Ramswamy got a little, I guess he was the loudest guy on the stage. <laughs> um, and then I, I was really kind of disappointed in, in, in Ron DeSantis, uh, who I who I like, and I like his, his positions. And... I really like how uh, he handled COVID, um, and and so he's got a great history, but it, 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 he seemed kind of boring. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I tend to agree you with you. You know, my take on it is uh, just something I've noticed, and, and not sure if you have or not. He doesn't smile. He doesn't laugh. He doesn't have a sense of humor. He always seems to be a little angry. That's a that's a good point. Yes, it's like he's not relaxing. Yeah, and, and enjoying the moment. He's working too hard to say the right words. Yeah, kind of comes easy, through. Easy thing to do. That's right. Easy thing to do on the stage. So I, I, I hate to be critical of the guy because, <laughs> Lord, that's a ton of pressure being up there and no doubt. millions of viewers out. No doubt. No doubt. But, um, um, yeah, I didn't think there was a anybody really picked up any points on the on the debate. What do you think, Gerard? Yeah, you know, the the one I, th I thought did, honestly, was Nikki Haley. I, I'm, you know, kind of 50-50 on uh, Miss Haley, but I thought she did herself well uh, during the debate. Yeah. She she uh, seemed to, to comprehend the issues and, and um, provided responses that were just, just cogent and common sense. And uh, she took Ramaswamy to task there a bit on his foreign, foreign policy positions, and that's something she knows a lot about. That was kind of fun to watch. So I didn't think she was, uh, I guess, too popular up to that point, and certainly the polls showed that, and her fundraising shows that. But it did improve after the deb debate, so I think the debate itself and her performance at it uh, certainly, certainly helped her campaign. Yes, her personality came through, um, and she wasn't just she wasn't robotic like Ron yeah. DeSantis was. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And speaking of robotic, it's Mike Pence that really showed kind of a ro robotic um, gesturing and body yes. English. Did he? Did he not to you? He's. I, I was around him so much in DC. Yeah. I mean, it's 
it, it's very common, um, and he is he's going to always be that way. I've yeah. never seen him act any other way. Yeah. Uh, so. I'm not sure if that's the and, formula and to a, win. I don't either. Um, you know, the debate's just boring without Trump on the stage. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's no doubt about it. You so, know, it was a time when Chris, when Chris Christie was, you know, he was so combative with uh, media that it was fun to watch him. But he seems to have, he's just mad at Trump, it seems like. That's his, <laughs> his main focus. <laughs> he did seem to be not scripted, more... Uh, uh, just impulsive and spontaneous and more relaxed. I'll give him that. You know, he didn't seem like I, yeah. I got everything planned. I've got these planned zingers that my consultants have coached me on. I'm just f trying to find the right time to throw those out there. I didn't see that from him, but you're right. He's obsessed with Trump, and that comes out. He doesn't talk much b beyond that. Uh, I was just talking, Mitch, uh, before we, we uh, got you connected there, uh, that the subject of the, the tax cuts in Jobs Act, which I think most would have to say was marquee legislation uh, under Donald Trump. Yes. It, it didn't get but the slightest of mention from one candidate, and that's Mike Pence. Of course, he, he I think he pointed that out. Yeah, because he was involved in it, and he, he was uh, the vice president when that passed, and, and he should. Uh, take some credit for that, yeah. but that's that's missing. And I, I was just pointing out that the individual yeah. provisions expire here at the end of twenty-five. We only got three tax years left, and that's going to be a right. war in our Congress. And we need to keep that thing going. That's why we enjoyed, I think, a big part of why we enjoyed uh, such a favorable economy. He, Donald Trump got that done early on. That was a very big part of it, Gerard, and then also the sense that we had a business person um, at the helm. Yeah, it gave comfort to all businesses across the country because they knew he was in their corner, uh, and and we don't have that now. Um, we we have a president who's willing to to destroy companies. Um, instead of build them up. He's, he's definitely not in their corner. Relentless uh, attacks so you, on the private sector. What's that? Relentless attacks on the private sector from this president. Oh, absolutely, yes. And you were talking just before I came on, you were talking about how much the tax dollars go uh, actually are utilized for the federal spending. So I looked it up while, uh, while you were on break. And yeah. It says that we spent six point three trillion, trillion last year, and tax revenue was only four point nine trillion. Right. So we printed and borrowed the balance. Yeah, and this year we're on track for a two trillion dollar. That yielded a one point four trillion dollar deficit. We're on track this year for a two trillion dollar deficit. I can't even fathom what a trillion is, Charles. <laughs> well, goodness. And that's the folks that are figuring all this stuff out up there in Washington. And my point is, and you know this, they don't think about how much we got coming in when they sit down to figure out how much to spend. They don't. That doesn't even enter the equation. <laughs> they do not. I think taxes, as you said before, you know, maybe maybe they do help with inflation, but I think taxes more than anything are a way to control the public. You agree. I agree. They see it as a way to, to punish success 
more than they do, well, we got to raise yes. sufficient revenue to take care of matters which government should be addressing from a spending perspective. No, it's, it's, it's almost um, a punitive tool. It's a, it's a tool just to punish people they don't like. <laughs> well, well and that's, you know, beginning of the Trump administration with his executive order that we had to eliminate two regulations for every new right. regulation proposed was fantastic. In the first year, we actually got rid of 22 regulations for every new regulation passed. And uh, we, we were on tour around the country uh, going to different states and small businesses saying, and trying to identify what these regulations were that we could eliminate. And we got to California and they were like, the federal regulations don't bother us at all. It's, <laughs> it's a there's state. so many by the state. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Mitch, always good to talk to you. Appreciate you calling in and giving us your insights. Always enjoy it. Thanks. My pleasure. Great to see you, Gerard. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio. Super Talk Mississippi. Guns N' Roses, uh, you got the read in front of you. Can you tell the good people about the Guns N' Roses VIP contest? While you're doing that, I'll tell them about high school football. That's back on Super Top Mississippi. We got you covered. You can catch a local game on just about every Super Talk Mississippi station. Plus, you can stream a ton of games and get up-to-the-minute scores from across the entire state by going to supertalk.fm slash high school or by clicking on sports on the Super Talk Mississippi app. And don't forget about the scoreboard preview show at 6 p.m. on Fridays and then catch the Farm Bureau Insurance Company scoreboard show at 10 p.m. on Friday nights anywhere you listen or watch Super Talk Mississippi. And we're less than a month away from Guns N' Roses coming to the Gulf Coast. Axel Slash and the crew are going to be at the Mississippi Coast Coliseum in Biloxi on September 20th. And Super Talk Mississippi's giving you a chance to be there. Not only could you win tickets to see Guns N' Roses, but you'll get the VIP treatment with a night stay at the luxurious Beau Rivage and a limo ride to and from the concert. In order to win, all you got to do is enter your name at one of the registration boxes located throughout the state. Go to supertalk.fm forward slash GNR there you to go. find a registration box near you. But remember, you've got to be 21 or older to enter. Yep, that sounds like fun. Oh, yeah. 
This interview is showing the problem with our country. We're worried about which candidate is entertaining and not which candidate is more poised and presidential to lead America. Well, I think that's a, a bit overreading there. That's Dwight on the no, ceasefire. The problem tax with our line. country is dimwit Democrats keep voting for Democrats when everything <laughs> Democrats touch turns to crap. <laughs> so uh, I think it's a fair observation, though, Dwight, don't you, that Donald Trump. He attracts viewers. It's just simple as that. Uh, you know who the most disappointed people were? Were Fox News that he wasn't on the stage. Still got a, a fairly good uh, audience. Drew a fairly large audience. I think what thirteen million or something like that. Big bigger than they expected. And I tell you who else was disappointed was MSNBC and CNN. That's about a week's worth of content for them. Would have been Donald Trump on the stage. I certainly agree with you. We should be concerned about uh, who should uh, we vote for to lead our country as the president, and we should be seeking the person who who meets those qualifications. I completely agree, and I don't think that's what Mitch was saying whatsoever, but the fact is Donald Trump had a commanding lead going into the debate. He's got a commanding lead coming out of the debate. People are just committed to Donald Trump, like it or not. I'm talking about on, on the Republican side of the aisle, like it or not, and all indications at this point are that he's going to be the nominee. I don't see how that's not the case. Now, I did notice that his trial uh, in Washington, I believe, the January 6th incident, is scheduled for big-time primary day? I the think. Monday before. Monday Super before. Tuesday. Okay. So, yeah, I'm sure there wasn't any intentional, deliberate scheduling there to just make sure he's not out there rallying. And all they're doing is helping him. I truly believe that. I, 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 if their goal is to, to bar him from running or to to just reduce his popularity, to diminish his support. That ain't working. Maybe they'll wake up and figure that out. So I think that's a bit of a stretch. But I hear what you're saying, Dwight. Also, Dwight said earlier, three strikes got you cut in my fraternity. Well, they all have different different rules. Um, all I was saying, talking about the Kappa Kappa Gamma case up there in Wyoming, that clearly all the members of that sorority were not on board with extending a bid to this transgender Mr. Langford. Yes, Mr. Langford. Uh, and so, but they lost. You know, I, I don't know how their rules work. Uh, obviously, it doesn't require unanimous uh, consent and vote. So there he is, right in the middle of all the girls. It's just insane, honestly. Uh, Charles and Matheson, not sure what you're talking about. Wait till they face a 10-to-1 devaluation side. We're talking about the dollar, Charles, based on spending? Just looking at the time there. So I'm not sure. Um, but certainly there's a lot of buzz uh, going on behind the scenes, not so much public about, first, the, the uh, funding of the government, second, the expiration of the Trump tax cuts, and then some other reports are now projecting deficits, crisis-sized deficits, as far as the eye can see. Bloomberg had an article about that late last week, said that the outlook for the federal budget is 
unprecedented crisis-sized deficits as far as the eye can see, even though the economy appears to be in reasonably good health. But that is making investors a bit nervous, and, and that's evidenced by bond yields when uh, you see money shifting around uh, out of equities uh, because of concern uh, for economic prosperity in the future. Borrowing cost also up. Mortgage rates, you guys know, we talked about that earlier, above 7%. That's the first time in more than two decades. First time. Many believe it's headed to 8% 30-year mortgage rates. And then we, of course, will get the PCE report and uh, more information from the Fed, reaction from the Fed to that. All they've basically said is they're determined to tame inflation. That pretty much is a message that they're going to keep hiking rates till they get it to where they feel like it should be. In the meantime, the president and his spokespeople will continue to lie about that and to try to into this talking point, this narrative of trying to persuade people that look. Inflation's coming down. Well, the rate of increase of the price of goods is coming down. Yeah, but what I'm buying ain't come down yet. It's already gone up a lot since you've been in there, dude. And um, and folks are feeling the pinch of that, feeling the squeeze of that across the They're country. They're just hoping everybody forgets all the transitory. <laughs> That's right. This is an interesting story here. Five thousand pilots. You've seen this, suspected of hiding medical issues. So those of you that are pilots listening or familiar with the, the process of getting certified to be a pilot, you've got to pass a medical exam. There are different levels of that for a, just a plain old private pilot such as myself. The um, I can't remember what it was called, Class A or what something. There's classes of medical certificate certification, and, it, and depending on whether or not you're a commercial airline pilot, for example, or a for hire pilot, or just a private pilot, there are different different levels of testing. Pretty simple test for a regular private pilot, uh, such as myself. You go in and get your blood pressure taken, and they check your eyes. Of course, your eyesight's critical there, and your hearing. And uh, it would be less than just a wellness exam, but certainly your your blood pressure, your heart, uh, your eyesight, minimum. You're going to check that out. Uh, but as you advance to be a commercial airline pilot, the test is a little more rigorous. Well, some 5,000 now are suspected of hiding these issues. I'm not exactly sure how you hide them, because I, I want to say that they have to get tested every six months. If Maybe it's... Maybe I'm Aren't there interval. requirements, though, involving like substance abuse or alcoholism, which both of those would be a little easier to hide? Yeah, you just have to, I think, attest to that. Yeah. Uh, I think you're right. So so I, I looked it up just to... Uh, just the first thing that came to mind to me. Yeah. Um, but, and again, a pilot exam, FAA 
pilot exam. Uh, lungs, heart, blood pressure, stomach, extremities, nervous system, eyesight, and hearing, like I said. So I missed a couple of things. But I'm pretty sure that a commercial airline pilot has to go every six months. I can't remember, but I know for me as a private pilot, it seems like it was every two years. Third class. I said ABC. Yeah, third class. So I guess first class, second class, third class, the way they do that. Uh, yeah, and those are enumerated in parts A, B, C, D. All right, so I had it kind of right. But that's the rules. Pilots are hiding it. Apparently some 60 pilots have been grounded. Airline pilots. Wow. Coming right back. Half an hour left on Midday. Stay with us. This program. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge, huge, huge news. Huge, huge, huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk, Mississippi. In the Element Well studio, so I took a uh, little navigation over to the AOPA site. That's the airline aircraft, pardon me, aircraft owner and pilots association, of which I was a member a long time. And so, that, yeah, there are three classes of medical certificates. First class is if you are what's called an airline transport pilot, essentially a commercial pilot, commercial airline. Every six months. Yeah. Second class are pilots who fly commercially, uh, such as crop dusting or, or uh, carrying passengers or cargo for hire, supposed to be in a commercial airline pilot. Second class medical required for that. That's a year, 12 months. And then what I had, just a private pilot, fly for, uh, fly for pleasure or business, but not for hire. Totally different deal. Third class, every two years. So there's, and there's different levels of testing for that. But surprised to find out that, according to reports, 5,000 hiding medical issues, 60 have been grounded. You certainly don't want somebody experiencing some sort of medical problem when they're flying an airplane full of people, or an airplane period, honestly, even if it's not full of people, because they can still crash into a bunch of people. So you don't want that. Uh, going on. On the ceasefire text line, I was asked, do you still fly? I do not. I, I started flying in 1996, got my pilot's license and a Cessna 172, which is typical training, high wing, fixed gear aircraft. Uh, I bought a Piper Lance. That was the earlier version of the Piper Saratoga. That is a six-seater. It's got club seats in the back. They just Two face the front, two face the back, they face each other. They call it club seats, and then two in the front. Carried a lot of weight. That has a high-performance engine and retractable landing gear, so you have to get a special sign-off by um, an FAA examiner to fly. High, they call it high-performance single. Uh, but I flew for uh, 
12 years, a little bit more than 12 years, I guess, and it, in which, at which point I came down with uh, colon cancer. Uh, everything's fine. Uh, no problems since then. Actually, it was 10 years because I had that in 2006. I lost my medical, right? So any cancer, you lose it. You can get it back, but you have to go through a process. Well, that took about a year to get my medical reinstated, reissued, and I got it back, and then my kids got so busy in high school with their activities, I could not stay current. I got my instrument rating in 1997, and that's a whole different ball game, flying on instruments without being able to see the ground strictly on that instrument package in front of you. Uh, that, that's, that's, pretty, that's a pretty difficult process to get through. had a fantastic instructor. Got my instrument rating down in Panama City. Spent a week flying two times a day, and then the examiner went up for what's called a check ride and got signed off. And I enjoyed that. Got about a thousand hours, I think seven hundred plus takeoffs and landings in that Piper Lance. But I don't anymore. Um, I I do have a, don't mind saying this. I do have a membership with Nicholas Air. And I really enjoy that. Nicholas Air is a Mississippi-based company in Oxford. They do a fantastic job. They have a great fleet, great service, great personnel, and uh, in their in their pilots and all the folks that work with you there. So, really, a uh, an asset to the, have them located in the state of Mississippi. Uh, radio show that's local here in the area. I took up for Tate Reeves, told him we Republicans have got to stick together and that primaries are where we can fight, but in the general elections we have to stick together. That's good, Larry. Appreciate that. Glad to hear that. Of course, Larry was uh, a supporter of Dr. Witcher in the primary. Governor Reeves, uh, one of his challengers on the Republican side there. So I hope that's uh, what we all do, honestly is rally behind uh, the candidate. I certainly understand the primaries are contentious, but gosh, uh, in my view, every Republican candidate, for example, last week on the stage in the debate would make a far better president than any Democrat candidate. It just They've gone off the rails. And there, there's just very little congruence anymore on philosophies of the party. Very little. And that's uh, that. That shows now more more than ever. We've become a polarized nation in so many ways. Certainly at state level as well. I, I, for example, in Mississippi, you know, where we banned gender surgery on minors. Many other states. I, I think it's north of 15 states now have taken similar action. Others have not. In the state of California. Their, their laws do not require a teacher or an administrator in a public school, K-12, through to notify parents if their children exhibit any sort of gender dysphoria, they, they request to use a bathroom that doesn't correspond with their biological gender, play on a team that doesn't, uh, talk to a teacher or administrator about wanting to transition pronouns 
all that sort of stuff, the teacher or administrator are not required to notify the parents of this behavior. So one of the school districts in California, I think a couple of them, have adopted rules that conflict, that do require them to notify, conflict with state law. So the state attorney general is suing the school districts to protect teachers and administrators who don't wish to share this news with their parents. And this is just all, I think, consistent with Marxist ideology, which uh, purports that you get to them when they're young and indoctrinate them and brainwash them. You got them hooked forever, which I think is the goal here. And just think about how different that set of laws is from like what we have here, where you, you can't do gender surgery um, on a minor, which what they call gender-affirming care. Oh, yeah, that's care. Castration, mutilation, that's care. It's totally insane. Uh, the governor, by the way, of the state of Mississippi, with this uptick in COVID cases we're seeing across the country, all of which I've observed are mild. I mean, in my circles, I know some people that have come down with it. I think everybody out there probably could. Very mild. Nothing serious. No, certainly nothing that would land you in the hospital. And I think it was always predicted, if I'm not mistaken, Rhino, that as this, this virus progressed, it would become more of an upper respiratory infection as opposed to deep down in your lungs, which is where it really gets serious and could kill you, literally. I mean, that's the natural life cycle of a virus. It gets more transmissible while getting weaker because it's going to sound weird to say this, but think like a virus. If you're trying to spread yourself, you don't want to kill the host because then you can't spread yourself more. You want to be virulent enough to be spread, but not virulent enough to where you kill the host. Make, makes sense, and that's. The and I'm way. not trying to give. I'm not trying to anthropomorphize COVID. Yeah. It's just that's an easier way to understand it. I, I've, I've um, received similar explanations from medical professionals. I, it's. I mean, it makes sense. So it's just kind of logical. But nonetheless, the governor here says we're not going to shut anything down. We're not going to adopt any goofy mask mandates. In the meantime, Biden, he's going to the Congress for more money for vaccines. I saw some statistic where last year, like 17% of the population got the booster they were recommending about this time through the fall of 22. Well, that ain't very many. And a lot of those people are saying, yeah, this thing's not dangerous enough for me to go get another shot. Uh, So and now that we know that vaccines don't prevent you from spreading it, I just don't get it. I think I don't want to give them any more money for that, which goes to the pharmaceutical companies. That's crazy. I, I've yet to hear in the last, it's been a long time, a serious case. And I've had family members that have had it. I mean, it's kind of like a typical sinus infection. Yet, have you seen this? We're seeing colleges, these woke colleges across the country, reinstituting mask mandates. Rutgers is one that comes to mind. 
it's uh, this virtue signaling that's just kind of gripped the country. I mean, we've always had it, but it's gotten so much more prevalent. It's destructive at the end of the day. Final segment coming up on the middays. Stay with us. She goes away. Gerard Gibbert. Going beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. Final segment, middays, Super Talk Mississippi on the ceasefire text line from the 662. So why would a good teacher not want to talk to the parents? Crazy. Well, the key word there being good. A good teacher would want to be engaged with the parents. And good grief for my time as a, as a father of, of uh, students. And even prior to that, you've always heard from the education community, we need more parental involvement, right? Isn't that what they've always said? That's Family the, engagement. Right. That's the key to quality education and success of the students. We get the families more involved. I agree. I'm for it. Now, these left-wing nuts say, you just stay there, parents. We got it. So the, I believe the answer to that question, Rhino, is because a lot of these teachers are activists themselves. That's just the bottom line. It's insane how many there are that are teachers that, shall we say, live alternate lifestyles. I mean, we, we've played, I think, videos on the program here of, of teachers that have talked about transgender teachers pushing transgenderism on their students and LGBTQ uh, teachers and the like. And that's fine. They're adults. I don't care. Just leave that out of the classroom. I don't want cisgender, normal, mainstream sexual relation teachers. I don't want them talking sex either. That's That's what the left doesn't get. We're not trying to push any of that. I just want them to learn how to read and write. How about that? And do math and science. Can't we just do that? I thought that was the purpose of school. Why do we have to even talk anything related to that content? I don't get it. I just hope we can get back the House and Senate, says Tim and McGee. I don't know how people could vote for Joe Biden. His family needs to be ashamed for putting him out there. But people will vote for him and the rest of the Democrats. And I, I, I hear you, Tim. It is it's mind-boggling. But... There are numerous polls right now that show Trump and Biden neck and neck, Biden up. And that's, to a great extent, deep disdain for Donald Trump. Maybe the most disliked politician ever. But you also have to acknowledge he's one of the most revered among his supporters, most loyal support base ever. But it's split the nation, and it'll split the vote. 
And once again, it'll come down to these handful of voters in a few counties, and whoever emerges victorious, guarantee you the other side will scream, cheating! No it doesn't way. help that you got whack jobs like Rachel Maddow on MSNBC saying, well, there's really only two options. Either Trump loses and goes to jail, or he wins and he's president for life. Yeah, that's true. I agree. That, that does hurt. Thomas and Greenwood says, will he come out and let, Tate, let us know how he, that he will veto any Medicaid expansion bill that comes out of the legislature? Any Medicaid expansion bill that comes out of the legislature, Thomas, will be veto-proof. Just remember that. Uh, and something else, Thomas said, are Republicans much better talking about the spending? Haven't seen much conservative action. I still don't know what that means, Thomas. Does conservative mean we just shut the government down? I mean, to what degree? So that's the problem when you start talking about what's conservative. Do we, would it be conservative to say disband the U.S. military? Would that be conservative? Would it be conservative? Because we wouldn't spend any money on it that way. It's about $800 billion a year. Would it be conservative to say, let's shut down Social Security and Medicare? Because they're bleeding money. So can you get elected with that? No. And again, I'm hearing them all, all the Republican candidates, yeah, we got to rein in this radical spending. They all said that. But they will never talk about it at a specific level. What do you mean exactly? What spending? What do you want to cut? They'll all say at a very high general level, oh, it's too much spending. The Democrats are spending too much. Okay, I agree, but what do you want to cut? And if you say Social Security and Medicare, what's driving the deficit? Oh, we can't touch that. Okay, well, then you're not really serious about balancing the budget. And I'm not for changing anybody's benefits that are getting there today or within several years, say a decade or so. Yeah, I, that would not be a good plan. I wouldn't support that. But there are things we could do to alter the course of the program for folks that are a long way away from retirement. And the same thing is what we're going to have to do with PERS, honestly. Same deal. It'll be to abolish the Electoral College, says James in Hattiesburg. Well, that would have to happen well, at the Constitution, in the Constitution, and that means the numbers all have to line up for that. Not likely. But what you can do is states can start assigning their electoral votes uh, based on who wins the popular vote. That's what would really hurt. If the national did, popular vote. The national, pardon me, yes. Not their state's popular vote, which is the way it is now. We're out of here today. Back tomorrow. Stay safe and God bless everyone. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.